John chapter 17. Just prior to John 17 here, uh, Jesus has spent a lot of time talking about and preparing the people, for preparing his followers for his departure, strengthening them, trying to encourage them, trying to help them to see the importance of staying connected to the vine, the, the importance of and, and how crucial the Holy Spirit will be to their, to their future, to being able to advance the gospel in their lifetime. And, and whenever, once he's gone, he's preparing them because he's very near to his death. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And he picks up here in chapter 17 uh, in verse 1. It says, after he had said this, what he just talked about prepare, and preparing them, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the example Jesus shows us that at this time, at the very end of his ministry on earth, he prays. And he brings before you his deepest concern, the needs of the church, his own needs and desires. And Father, the needs of those of us here that were 2,000 or so years removed from it, God, he prays for us too. And I pray, God, that today as we look at this, that our hearts are moved and inspired. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There have been a lot of famous speeches given over time. We've all heard, if you, if you are American, you've heard of John F. Kennedy's speech where he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Of course, the famous speech uh, that Martin Luther King uh, did, I Have a Dream, one of the most moving speeches in history. Uh, Winston Churchill, right uh, during the Second World War, this was what he said regarding going to battle and, and defeating the enemy. But if we fail, then the world, whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister, sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour, and then D-Day would happen, and the war would be won by the Allies. That... All of these speeches, and so many others, there are so many examples, pale in comparison to Jesus' prayer. They, pay, they don't even come close. A prayer said for all who are able to hear Jesus in that moment. You learn a lot about a person when you hear their prayer. You learn about their hurts. You learn about their fears. You learn what they care most about. You learn who they care most about. Their deepest feelings about their current situation, and so forth and so on. If you're not praying to somebody else regularly, I would encourage you to do that. 
If you're married, I want to encourage you to pray with your spouse. Because when you pray with somebody, man, hearts are moved. We are connected like never before. There are many things revealed about Jesus in this prayer. And today we're going to focus on three of those things. I didn't bring the clicker. I need the clicker. Unless somebody wants to just click it for me. The first, the first point for the lesson today is the hour has come. Back in our text, the hour has come in verse in the in the first part of his prayer. He says, "Father, the time has come." Is the NIV is what it says in the NIV. Uh, other other the, thank you. Uh, the other versions the other versions say the hour. And uh, whenever Jesus is saying the hour has come, it's interesting that that throughout much of his teaching, he mentions this hour that he's talking about here. In John chapter seven, he says he, he says my hour has not yet is not yet come. In John seven and, and John eight, he says they wanted to kill me, but his hour had not yet come. In John twelve, he says, Father, now has the hour come to glorify thy son. Then he says, My heart is faint. What shall I say? My spirit is troubled within me. What shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, for this hour I came. Luke 22, Jesus turns to the people who are persecuting him at the very end of his life, just before they're crucifying him, and he says to them, But this is your hour, the power of darkness. Everything Jesus had done up to this point was, was pointing toward this hour that was going to come, not the hour where Jesus is in. He's talking about the hour, the time that, uh, of his crucifixion that's right before him, the hour of his death. This hour, this is the hour of darkness, he says to the forces of darkness. You want me, now you're going to have me. It's that time, the time is up. And at that hour, he would be torn to shreds. And this is the reason why the Son of God himself cringed why he would go to the garden. Uh, you know, he says, now my soul is troubled within me. What shall I say? Save me. No, Father, for this hour I have come, as I referenced earlier. The hour means everything that happened, that has happened in Jesus' life. Emptying himself, coming to earth, uh, the life, the birth, the ministry, the, the miracles. Everything has pointed toward this hour coming. And in this hour, he is slain. In this hour, the powers of darkness do with him what they want. In this hour, uh, he seems to be defeated. And yet, he says, in this hour, I'm glorified. He understood the challenges that were coming. He had told them all about it, prepared them for it. And this was the hour. He's scared because of the hour, but he's prepared. And, he, and, and it's not because of the pain. I don't believe he's scared. I believe it's because he understood that he was going to have to experience what he had never experienced before. He was going to be taking on the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah prophesied, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. First Peter 2, Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He was ready for the hour. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him? To pray this prayer, 
But it was a prayer of submission. A prayer of commitment. That I've been preparing my whole life for this time. And he says it publicly. It's recorded for you and I. To stand in awe and be amazed that God was preparing him and, and blessing us. The suffering that he would feel at the hands of all of these people, all it was because of the sin, all of the sin that you and I are guilty of. He would take that on in the cross. And yet, in humility, Jesus prayed. This is the hour of my glory. What an incredible humility. What an incredible thought that Jesus understood everything was coming to that point. If you knew your time was coming, would that be your would that be your thought? Would that be the way you spoke to people? I don't think it would have been me. I would have been afraid. Crying maybe. I heard on a radio show this week they asked the question, would you, would you be happy if you were told you could live to 90? But that was it. You knew that you were going to die at 90. I, I had to ask myself, what would I, what would I, I'd love to, I want to live, I don't want to know when I'm going to die. I know how messed up my life can be. I know how messed up my mind can get. And I wouldn't want to be the kind of person that, 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 that I know I would be in my sinful nature as well. If I know I'm living to 90, I'm going to live it up until I'm 90. Until I'm 89 and a half. But that's why the Bible doesn't do that. Jesus didn't even know exactly when it was going to happen. But he knew this was the time. He knew, every, he knew everything that was leading up to it. And now, and now here he is. My hour has come. Secondly, glory, glory to the Father. We live in a day when people want glory for themselves. Let's be honest. How many have wanted glory for ourselves at some time or another? We have, let's be honest about it. Uh, we, it. As a Christian, I've wanted that. I've sat there and been and, and watched somebody else get up and speak or get up and lead a song and think, man, I could have done a better job than that. Not recently, praise God. I, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I could have done a better job than him. Maybe you could, and you'll get your shot one day. But, but, but we, we love glory. I, 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 I tell you, it's funny. You watch football and you know teams that are 0 and, 0 and 12, and the guy gets a touchdown and celebrates like he won the Super Bowl. You wonder, what are you doing, man? You're about to get fired. You realize in about four games, you're going home, uh, and, and yet you're celebrating because he was trying to bring glory to himself. The, 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 all of the sports and all the analogies you, and, and pictures of that, in, in the professional world, in your job, at your office, what do you look at? You want accolades. You want the raise. You want, you want somebody to acknowledge you. When I was in the Navy, they used to give, they would line you up every Friday morning or, or Thursday morning, you would have an inspection, or, and they would take you, put you on the, you would, everybody would be up on the, uh, um, oh gosh, Bill, help me out. It would be out on the, on the, uh, where the boat, where the boat was, we didn't have a flight deck, it was a submarine, on the pier. They put all the, the whole crew would come out on the pier, the whole crew would come out on the pier, you'd line up, and then they would give awards out, right? And they and, and and you knew they were giving out awards, and you're you're just waiting. Okay, yeah, call my name. 
and the guy next to you gets something, and maybe the guy next to you gets something, and you don't get anything. And you help some of these things, and you don't get anything. Whenever I, I made uh, E6 in the Navy, and, uh, and everybody got to put on that rank, except me. They all got, because of the situation going on in my life, the command said, no, you can't wear it. Everybody else gets it. I was a Christian, too. That didn't go, go, go down very well. Because you want glory, you want, you want, to, you want to feel something. He just didn't do that. He say, you know, he, he, he said glory, but let's go back to the text. Glorify your son. But he wasn't saying, look at me. He actually is at that point pleading to God. The, the word glory is to cause someone to have glorious greatness. You know, in some languages, the equivalent of this expression, maybe raise me up high. Or give me great glory in the eyes of, in this case, in the eyes of God. Because he was, uh, when, when he asked for himself to be glorified, he's asking that he would be able to return to heaven. He even references that in verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What is he saying? Hey, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back to be with you. He was with God at the beginning, the beginning of it all. He's saying, I'm ready to go back. But Jesus ultimately desired glory to God. He's hours from going to the cross. His best friends are going to betray him. He could have prayed for any number of things. We know he struggled in the garden and will struggle in the garden uh, just soon after this. So his prayers weren't done yet. But he didn't pray for himself. He ultimately would pray for all of us. He would pray for all of them at that time and for all of us of us that would come after. When I compare my prayer life to Jesus's, I am convicted to my core. It's appropriate that this is the passage that I'm preaching because my goal this year was to grow in my prayer life. And I'm excited about that. And I feel like there's I've made some small steps of progress and I'm looking forward to more steps of progress. But mine's nothing like this. It, you know, it, 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 this my lack of my lack of connection compared to Jesus. It just shows me my deep need for Jesus. It shows me how much I need a Savior because I'm not able to do it myself. How would you compare what you request from God? Do you call on God to? Uh, to lead you in such a way as to glorify Him by the way you live? How often do you pray, Father, glorify Your name through me? That's a scary prayer. Because that means you actually want to do something different. I know I don't pray it enough. And, and, and it means that things are going to happen that can challenge us and call us higher. Do you have in mind glorifying God when you're going through your day? Making decisions about your family, about your job, about your life. Maybe, you know, making a decision, uh, or maybe it's arguing with your spouse or arguing with your roommate or, or, or with your siblings or, or emotional about something going on in your life or fighting against this sin. Do you pray, God, glorify 
let me glorify you through my connection to others. Imagine what life would be like in our fellowship if every day we prayed, Father, let my life glorify you. And in everything we do, how different would we be at home with our families? How different would our relationships be with each other? How different would our commitment to the body be if we really prayed for God to be glorified in everything that we do? How different would your evangelism be? How different would your life look tomorrow if you prayed tomorrow in the morning, God, glorify you through my life? I want to challenge us all to take on that prayer regularly. God, glorify you through me. And then wait and see what happens. I believe it will be amazing. I believe our church would 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 become a place, a, a, a city on a hill, all that all that it's supposed to be. It's amazing. Now imagine what it would be if we all embraced that idea. Father, glorify your name. Third and finally, what's shown in this text about the heart of Jesus. Let's go back in verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given me. God's desire from the very beginning was to bless the nation. Go back and look in Genesis at the call of Abram. That's the promise, is that through Abram's life, the nations would be blessed. And that's brought to fulfillment through Jesus. And Peter, I, I'm sorry, Paul, and when he writes to Timothy, he tells Timothy this, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart is for all to be saved. And Jesus' statement is a statement that we have available to us. Eternal life what an incredible statement it is. And we, 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 we think about that, you consider that, how amazing it is. We get the chance to have eternal life. But I read one commentary, and it said something different than I've ever perceived this statement. And it, he said this, as positive as Jesus' statement sounds, it's a cut. It's a slam. It's an insult. Some gifts cannot be received without admitting something very wrong about yourself. If somebody comes to you for Christmas and says, I have this wonderful new gift, and it's a big, it's a great big bottle of mouthwash, what do you say? Why, thank you? What are you admitting when you receive the mouthwash with gratitude? You know that's what it is. I've never seen this passage this way ever. 20 plus years of doing this. It's a whole different way, but it really is the truth. It's not that Jesus is being negative. He's stating the fact. 
that without Jesus' choice to be willing to go to the cross and endure the pain of the cross without his rising from the dead and being raised to the Father, we are as good as dead. In fact, we are the walking dead without eternal life. We need eternal life. And eternal life is not just something you, you, you halfway believe in. You either believe it or you don't. Look at, what, look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2. You were dead trespasses and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Without Jesus, you are an object of wrath. Without eternal life, you are the walking dead. Not, I, I'm not talking about the show, The Walking Dead, okay? I don't I've not watched but a few minutes of that show. But it, I know looking up pictures of it, I thought I'm not putting them up there. They are pretty nasty. I'm not, that would not be very encouraging. But, but, but spiritually speaking, we can think too highly of ourselves. And in our minds, spiritually, we can think we are, we are the, the best dressed uh, and, and the best put together spiritually of all. And we don't need eternal life. No, you can have everything in the world and be the walking dead spiritually. We need eternal life. We need a life that, that, that is beyond us because without Jesus, we, without direction from the Bible, I can't imagine what my life would be like without Jesus. Eternal life was the business Jesus was in from the very beginning. Many might think, I don't think I'm in a living death. What are you talking about? But I don't know people in a state of living death. People in the state of a living, de living death wouldn't know they're in a state of living death. Or they wouldn't be in a state of living death. What's the point? You don't know. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you, if you were baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've repented and, and given your life, then you know. But it, living eternal life is so radically different than the rest of the world. Your life is not just partly changed. I'm just a little bit better today. No, your world is turned upside down. Your thinking is turned upside down. You're doing things so differently that, that you, the people that knew you before you were Christian are looking at you and say, what in the world, who are you? And what have you done with my friend? Because I like that one better. He was more relatable to me. Because if you are living eternal life today, because if you're a Christian, you know you have eternal life today. Eternity is beginning now. You, you are in it now. And you're meant to be living it now. Not, 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 just, not just part way. There's a story I read.
about West when they began to penetrate China in the 19th century and what the Chinese thought of the Westerners. The article, the article said what was intriguing to the Chinese was, first of all, all the Westerners, both the Europeans and the Americans, were all Christian. They built their churches, they wore crosses, and they said, we're Christian. So they called all the Westerners Christian. But there was a problem. And that was most of the Westerners were oppressive, most of the Westerners were racist, and most of the Westerners were dishonest and double-dealing. And there was this little group that came. And they lived very pure lives. They sacrificed themselves to help other people. And they fed people. They tried to help people who were sick. They built chapels. They tried to show people how to believe in Jesus. And they offered people Jesus. They lived such lives of purity and service and love in Jesus' name. This created a problem for the Chinese because if these people are Christians, then what are the others? They had to come up with another name. And they called them Jesus people because they were actually like the Jesus all the Christians believed. Even from the outside, even these Chinese people who had never really understood or heard anything about Christianity, the 19th century folks, even they could see the difference between people who define Christianity intellectually and culturally and institutionally versus the people who define Christianity vitally. The essence of being a Christian is eternal life. If you have eternal life today, do others see it? Are you that radically different? And if you don't have eternal life today, what are you doing to fight and scratch and claw to get to having eternal life? Let me tell you, it might seem challenging. It might seem like, man, I will lose so much. No, you will actually, it may seem like you're losing a lot, but you're not losing anything God didn't intend for you to have in the first place. What you're gaining for eternal life is eternity with Jesus. Eternity in heaven. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he prayed this prayer. He was preparing himself for this act of the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could have eternal life. Jesus is the reason we have the opportunity to change. If you're a follower of Jesus today, but yet you're not living this eternal life, you're just kind of, just kind of getting by, Showing up on Sundays, kind of blowing off everything else. I know life is busy. We challenge you. Repent. Get back to the eternal life that Jesus intended. When you said Jesus is Lord, you said He's the Lord of all of your life, not just the parts that you're comfortable with, all of your life. Eternal life is incredible. And we get to live it each and every day following Jesus. Do we mess up? Yes. Every day we mess up. And we repent. And just as Horace shared, we are, we are washed clean. But don't take it for granted. 
that every day you're washed clean, therefore I'm going to go and do whatever I want. That's not repenting. That's not living eternal life. We learn a lot about Jesus from the beginning of this prayer. We learn that the hour is here. Everything that He had done up to his, this point in His life pointed to this time. And He was ready. And he, he completely understood that His hour was here. Every, every action He had taken, every example He had shown us prepared Him for this time. We understand that His desire was to bring glory to the Father. Let's let that be the desire of our lives. That we bring the Father glory in everything that we do, in every step that we take, no matter what we're doing, no matter what school we're in, or job we're at, or or wherever we are, that we bring glory to the Father. In our homes, in our families, with our roommates, all of it that we bring glory to to the Father. And let's remember the eternal life that Jesus made available through His sacrifice. If you aren't yet sure about your eternity, if you're sitting there wondering, what's He talking about? What is this eternal life that He's talking about? Let me encourage you to ask someone to study the Bible with you and show you what this is all about. Show you the difference that it can make in your life. Show you how radically different your life gets to be because of the love of Jesus. Amen, church. Let's all stand and sing.